Greetings, one and all, to another episode of the OST Party, where movie fans and music fans come together and have a rockin' good time. My name is Joseph Wade. I'll be your co-host for this evening. Here with me tonight is my lovely co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby. Hi, Joe. Hey, Libby. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing great, but Libby, it's... It's time we get we got we got some work to do. So you need to take me away. Alyssa, I don't mind. But you better promise me one thing. We'll be back in time. <sighs> Boom. <laughs> yes, that's right. Tonight we are talking about Back to the Future. And we're actually gonna do something a little different uh, for our third episode. We're actually gonna be talking about not one, not two, but three soundtracks tonight. Three soundtracks for the price of one. Buckle in, we're going eighty eight miles per hour. All right. There are a lot more Back to the Future puns, so just hunker down, everyone. We got them all. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess first things first, Libby, uh, what are your thoughts on Back to the Future? It's the greatest movie ever made, and it is perfect and amazing. And actually, the third one is my favorite. But honestly, Back to the Future can't can't be beat. It's perfect in every single way. I, I, I guess I'll have to ask the question I asked on the last episode. Libby, are you me? (laughs) <laughs> because I feel exactly the same way. We're separated at birth. <laughs> but it ha- have to, we have to have been. Yeah, I think that's um, the only explanation. No, I think, but no, I th- yeah, Back to the Future is like a great piece of like Hollywood popcorn entertainment. And I think the dirty little secret of the whole franchise is that the third one's actually the best one. Yeah, and the first one is brilliant and perfect. There's, but there's something about the third. I think because I, I got a real soft spot for Doc Brown. So, uh, which should surprise no one who's ever looked at my Twitter and the the type of men I'm into. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but no, the whole, the whole trilogy is, is flawless. They are, they're so tightly put together. If you watch everything that you need to know is revealed in the first 16 minutes. They are brilliant pieces of film. They should be taught in film school if they aren't. They're fun they're funny, and they've got some really, really great soundtracks. So. I can vouch for the fact that this, that at least the first one is taught in film school because oh, we God. did an entire like two week unit about how tight the script for that movie is. Oh my God! It's there is not a single thing wasted in that movie. And Everything they set up, they knock down in the third act. It's brilliant. I love it. And and it's one of those. There's no way you could remake it because the the tone is perfect. The cast is perfect. There's just no way to... You can't improve upon it. There's absolutely no way. And it's such a, like, I hate to use the word relic, but it's such like a relic of its time and place that you really can't do it at any other time. Yeah. You know? And it's also... It just wouldn't work. Terrifying that we are living in the alternate 1985 timeline. It predicted this, and it's horrible, and we hate it. Somebody needs to go back and get uh, Gray Sports Almanac from... Pre- from pre- President Biff, yeah, yeah. President Biff. So, uh, oh my god! But then, not only is the movie great, but I feel like the movie's theme song is equally iconic and amazing. And we're going to talk all about that tonight. Yes, we are. We're going to talk at length, and also some of the uh, the less amazing tracks. And there are a f- quite a f- well, not quite a few, but there are a there's few. A there are some. I'd say there's probably two weak spots on this soundtrack. And one on the A side, one on the B side, but um, you get some real, some real gems in there mm-hmm. that that might otherwise seem out of place, but 
fit perfectly. So yeah, and this is a tight uh, a tight soundtrack too. Like whereas Batman Forever and Clerks were kind of lengthy and kind of bloated, Back to the Future is a solid you know ten tracks and you're out. Yeah, and all of them appear in the film. Yeah, every last one. Which is new for um for uh what we talked about from the other two episodes. Uh, they they play on the radio. They play at the fish under the sea dance. <laughs> they they literally play the like characters play the songs in the film themselves. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> if you want to correct me on that fish under the sea dance, no, it was the enchantment under the sea dance. This is one of those movies that if it is on, you can own it on DVD and VHS and have it memorized. But if you catch this on TV, you're not getting off the couch. Oh yeah, that's that's the rest of your afternoon, man. Yeah. So, and you're they're not just going to show one, so I guess you just hunker down and watch Back to the Future. That, that's right. <laughs> Cable TV is not in the practice of playing one Back to the Future. You get one, you get them all. Oh yeah. At this point, we got to we got to sell some ad space, so let's play all Back to the Futures at once. I'm not complaining. No, me neither. No, <laughs> I've I have I on more than one occasion this year I have watched the entire trilogy. <laughs> You're my hero and my best friend. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> All right. You want to just start this off with a bang? What do we open with? The very first song you hear in the film is also the very first t- track on the soundtrack. It's Huey Lewis in the News is The Power of Love. Possibly one of the greatest songs ever written. No, sorry. Steely Dan's Kid Charlemagne is the greatest song ever written. The Power of Love is a close second. Well, you know, that's why I always qualify these things, because you're always going to correct me. <laughs> yes. But The Power of Love is one of those, if you put that on anywhere, it instantly makes people happy. It is a magical song. You could put it on in the grocery store. You can put it on... Like in on the radio, and everyone is stuck in traffic. It instantly. I don't know a single person, and I don't want to know a single person who doesn't like the power of love. Huey Lewis in the news. Right. Y'all are jerks if you don't like it. If honestly, if you don't like it, just turn this podcast off. I don't want anything to do with you. Yeah, throw the podcast in the trash. Walk outside <laughs> and just like step into traffic. Yeah. Really. Fuck you. But honestly, please don't. <laughs> so yeah, the power of love. I feel like there's all uh, there's a little bit of a backstory to this song. And it has to do with, as far as I'm aware, Ghostbusters. Really? So going back to Ghostbusters, Ray Parker Jr.'s theme song for Ghostbusters sparked a lawsuit from Huey Lewis claiming that it sounded a little too close to I Want a New Drug. And the news won that lawsuit. (laughs) If I'm reading between the lines, I kind of feel like the next time Hollywood came a-knocking on Huey Lewis's door, he said, yes, absolutely, I'm not going to miss this gravy train again. Okay. And they, they had the song Power of Love just kind of sitting, not really sitting around, but this was what they were working on. Didn't necessarily have anything to do with time travel or the film, but he he brought this to Robert Zemeckis and said, here, this is this is the song we want to put, we want to offer you. You're making and the greatest movie of all time. I'd like to give you what we've decided is the second greatest song of all time. I will pay you to put this song in your movie. And we must get Zemeckis this to said, the people. Hold the phone. And no, no payment necessary. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But no, I, I really feel like because Huey Lewis 
sued Ray Parker Jr. for for Ghostbusters, I kind of feel like that's why we have power of love in our lives. Is I, because he did not want to miss that boat. Yeah, well, and otherwise they probably would have just got Kenny Loggins or something. Yeah. Or, you know, we might we might have gotten two Lindsay Buckingham songs on the soundtrack. Oh God, no. No. I don't that's the alternate 1985. It's back to the future A. It's never written. And there's two Lindsay Buckingham songs on the soundtrack. <laughs> what a nightmare. But this Ugh. song, so fun story. Uh, my husband Ian and I got married in 2015, which I think we did deliberately because we're such big Back to the Future fans. Uh, this was our recessional. Oh, wow. So I walked down the aisle to the theme from the ice dance from Edward Scissorhands, but we walked up uh, to the power of love by Huey Lewis on the news because we thought you can't get married in 2015 and not play Huey Lewis on the news. I mean, come on. Oh, absolutely not. No. Was... So now, did you have like a, uh, a band or, or a musicians on site playing the song or did you just have no. them blast it from out of speaker? <laughs> made of money no he just had it uh queued up okay uh, in the church so but uh it made I mean, you everybody could have hired a happy to like make the power of love into like a wedding march i don't know no uh no because there's only one person that can do it right and that's huey lewis fair enough okay so um and this song uh plays there's actually sort of two versions of this song in the film the first time you hear it and actually this film does a lot of really cool things with how you hear the soundtrack because he puts on his headphones and is riding to school on his skateboard it's the 80s and it's california and grabs mm-hmm. onto the back of a of a truck and is riding around and so you are essentially hearing what he's hearing um and he's a cool kid that listens to uh huey lewis yeah it's the 80s and he's a white kid um <laughs> and that's what you do yeah and it's it, it's great because he could have been listening to something terrible like billy joel he, as soon as like Marty realizes he's late for school, the, fil- the the song just kicks in and it's blasting. Yeah, and it's a real like rush of energy to kick off the film. I kind of love it. I absolutely love it a million percent. So there's no way I could love it more. Right, and so. then the second time we hear it in the film, Marty is actually playing it with his band, the Pinheads, <laughs> which is ridiculous. I feel like a band named the Pinheads should have come out after uh, Hellraiser, but here we are. <laughs> I feel like that's just when I think about the band and the type of music they play, I feel like the Pinheads should be opening for X or the Buzzcocks, not playing it's playing Huey Lewis at some dance in uh, Hill Valley. Right, but it's, like the way the way they're the way they're playing it, what you're hearing, it almost sounds like they're playing it kind of in a, almost like a Van Halenish style. Yeah, but he wears a puffy vest, so maybe I don't necessarily buy Marty McFly as like a hard rocker. That was a question I was actually going to bring up to you. Does Marty McFly really strike you as the kind of person who's into music that's too loud? No, he listens to Huey Lewis. Because as they're playing the song, Huey Lewis himself shows up and tells the band that they're disqualified because... Hold it, fellas. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud. <laughs> and I remember when I found that out, that was like the most delightful thing I've ever found out. Like, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> that's so cute. I love that. 
Speaking of delightful, you want to know something about that version of the song in yes. that scene? Is that uh, the, rec- the, rec- the recording that they used was actually the original demo tape from Huey Lewis in the News for that song. I am delighted. And they delivered it, it to, like, to the production and was like, here, you can use this. And the music producers kind of tweaked it and made it, cut it so that it looks like Mar- uh, Michael J. Fox is playing the song. So, awesome. That's, and then they dropped it in cool. a fish tank because it's all distorted and like blown out and weird. Yeah, and it, it sounds like they got Steve Vai to like play it with his toes. Right, <laughs> and then sadly, Marty goes back home and is sad. There's not like a sad version that plays. <laughs> there in in the course of the series, there is actually really in Back to the Future Two when we meet old Marty McFly and he's had this car accident that's fucked up his hands. You, there, you, there's one scene where he's like playing his guitar and he's trying with all his might to play Power of Love and yes. he can't. And it's oh. so sad. That's the saddest thing. I think that might be the saddest part in the movie. Um, as we skip ahead to Back to the Future 2. That's yeah. just about as sad as when um, Marty goes to uh, the cemetery and finds his dad's grave, which to this day still fucks me up. There are some le- the scenes of like legit horror in this, in this series oh and God. It impresses me that they pull them off the way they do. Yes, and that they can then go back. And that's one of the things about 80s movies that I've noticed. And it's, I don't know what it is. Because 90s movies, you get some of it through the action movies of the early 90s. But they manage to balance things that are horrific and violent while still being funny. And like Roadhouse is a really good example of that. Well, like Roadhouse is, there are bits of violence in Roadhouse which are unbelievably horrific, but oh, it yes. still manages to be like funny and lighthearted in other parts without seeming like this rapid tonal shift. And I don't know what it was about screenwriting in the eighties, but I mean, there's some parts in Back to the Future that, like I said, that really they get me that like that make me feel like immense joy and then just like arable sadness. Um, yeah, I feel like what it is is like the people who were making movies in the eighties had just mainlined all of the Twilight Zone in their childhoods, mm-hmm. and they're just getting it all out of their system in these in these like coked out like <laughs> wacko comedy horror movies, like Back to the Future. <laughs> yes, my favorite shot in the in the entire first Back to the Future is when Marty picks up the the newspaper in nineteen fifty five, and it's like a extreme close up of the date, and the way the camera sort of whips around the newspaper, and then the music goes dun dun dun. <laughs> it's it's so goofy, but at the same time, it works. So you're like, oh my god, it's the fifties. Oh, yeah, and it's um, it, that shot would seem, and maybe it's because this was made in in the eighties, and now we're you know all these years later. Um, it would seem really cliched, but there's something about it that that works, that sort of snaps it into place. And I think because by that point, I mean, he arrives in the 50s within the first probably half hour of the film. And he's about, there. Yeah, it's, like I think it's I think it's almost exactly half an hour. Yeah. Like, like we said, this movie is like. Like a, like a Swiss watch. It is yeah. precise. And I feel like that shot nowadays would be a lot longer. But it just, you get it. You know where, you know, the audience knows, oh shit, we're in 1955. Okay. Um, like, let's get moving. Yeah, let's find Doc and, and keep going. So so let's back up a little bit. Uh, before. Go back in time, if you will. 
Yeah, let's go back in time. <sighs> you better follow me. Come on. Uh, so let's go back in time to uh, the second song on the soundtrack. All right. Um, this is Lindsay Buckingham's Time Bomb Town. Which is the most irritating song I think I've ever heard. I hate it. Um, I, I, I listened to the soundtrack, you know, yesterday as we were preparing for this. And even then, like, I really wanted to skip the song after the first five minutes because that's all you hear in the movie. Right now, Marty has agreed to meet Doc at the Twin Pines Mall yes. uh, at about 1.30. And his, his alarm is set. He's fallen asleep in his clothes. Uh, his alarm is set and it goes off to Time Bomb Town. And I can relate to this because we still have an old school radio alarm. And sometimes it goes off to really, really terrible songs. Sometimes it goes off to Hungry Like the Wolf and I'm really happy and I, I have a whole happy day ahead of me. But, That's a great way to start the day. Oh, God, yes. Um, and sometimes it goes off to something really terrible like uh, Hotel California. <laughs> or uh, um, Only the Good Die Young. If, when it goes off to only the good die young, I'm like, I'm staying about. I, I was gonna say Margaritaville, and then you went, you went Billy Joel on me. I've never heard Margaritaville on this radio station. Well, that's good. But yeah, so so he gets up to go meet Doc, and this song. What's the thing you like least about this song? Because there's nothing good about it. I don't care. If this dude is in Fleetwood Mac. You remember, well, remember how how like powerful and like driving we said the power of love is. This is not any of that. No, this is like when you don't know how to drive stick shift, <laughs> <laughs> and you keep like trying to start the car because like. <laughs> <laughs> so, true to the uh, the title of the song, this 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 song sounds like your car's about to explode. <laughs> it does. I mean, like bonus points to uh, to Buckingham for creating something very tense uh in that it's it's breathy it's you know it's it's very staccato uh it's also terrible and i don't know what a time bomb town is and i don't know why anyone would want to live there i just feel like the real estate values would crash yeah how do you get insurance for that it's a good theme song for the lion estates neighborhood where marty lives <laughs> it's just kind of crap yeah and um which is when you think about that, especially looking ahead to the second film, you know, these are these sort of promised, these promised suburbs. And even by 1985, and I didn't realize that, but, you know, in watching it as an adult, they're sort of not great. They're not, these aren't nice houses. They're not the projects, but they're, for lower middle class suburban families. I mean, the son still lives at home and works at a fast food place and, you know, the mom's yeah, and an like alcoholic. The, the high school has graffiti all over it and it's just not a nice neighborhood. Really. Yeah. I mean it but it's not run down. It's just it's, you know, sort of this dying suburban town. But um at least in the regular eighty five, obviously alternate eighty five is is worse, but um I mean it's the, it's basically the same plus Sammy Hagar. Yeah. <laughs> That's way worse. It's a lot worse. <laughs> but um, but this song, I'm sort of wondering, was it just that they had a Lindsay Buckingham song that they needed to use somewhere? They had the rights to it? Because, again, it's just played on the radio. And... Um, 
I, I, I do know that they, they had approached him to do like a true like movie theme song for this movie, and he said no. And this purely, was the best he could do. Purely because like he'd already done the theme song for Vacation, and he didn't want to become that guy. He didn't want to have all the money in the world. <laughs> and he used all of his good theme song juice for Vacation because, honestly, Holiday Road is a lot better than Time Bomb Town. God, Time Bomb Town is so terrible. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's, this is the worst song on the soundtrack. It, uh, and that's saying something because we've got more crap to go. So, eh, really well. Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, but <laughs> yeah, this song is really terrible. And, yeah, and I don't like I said, I I can't understand why it was in there. And also, he just doesn't strike me as a Lindsey Buckingham guy. I just feel no. like he'd, he'd have kind of a soft spot for uh, Stevie Nicks. So, because you can only pick one in that war. That's true. You're either Team Lindsay or Team Stevie, especially these days. Oh yeah! Oh god, absolutely. <laughs> so that's, and actually, that's it, a that's a drama that you would not expect to continue to be still playing out in 2018. Nope. Um, and actually, it's funny though because this song feels like the second movie. And at this point, they didn't know they were writing a second movie. How so? So it, there's because it's got that real. It's ugly. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, it does. It has this real ugly sound to it. Again, at that real tension and coming off of the power of love, which is just a bright ray of sunshine through a field of daffodils that are made of candy. <laughs> Even just saying, say the power of love and you feel better. You, it's saying. true. Say it really it. is. Like, it just, it makes you happy. But um, this one, and I, you know, it's probably intended to set up the tension for the scene because what happens in the scene with uh, with Doc and the time machine, it's all fun and games until... Until the Libyans show up. Oh, yes. And they shoot Doc and Marty escapes in the time machine, which is brilliant. I mean, it's terrible because you're like, oh, fuck, Doc. Doc's dead, yeah. But then you get this thrilling action scene, and you're like, how's he going to get out of this one? Oh, right, he's in a time machine. But he doesn't plan to use the time machine. He's just speeding along and gets up to 88 miles per hour. Right, and it's 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 a really clever like misdirect, too, because like he just goes like, let's see if you bastards can do 90, not even thinking about it, you yeah. know? And, and then next thing he knows, oh shit, I'm in a field. Where the hell am I? Yeah, and that's actually one of my favorite. There's so many great bits in this film but i love he knocks over the pine tree in yep. the field when you come back at the end of the movie it is the lone pine mall yes and they didn't have to do that but they did mm -hmm. so which respect and actually this is where the soundtrack kind of goes off the rails right because track number three is the back to the future theme song the, the actual orchestral theme so by the out of time orchestra by Alan Silvestri and the Out of Time Orchestra. I love that. Yes, and uh, this piece was my entrance music to my wedding reception. <laughs> of course it was. Because it's just such a, a majestic and sweeping piece. I mean, it's so big and beautiful. It really, it's such a, a pleasure to listen to. Like, you feel it with your whole body. Absolutely. And as good as the movie is, like, I feel like the, the this theme really makes it. Mm -hmm. Because, like, it this does not belong in a time travel comedy. This belongs in a friggin' superhero movie. Yes, and the the horns as you as you come into it are just they're majestic. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's stunning. And we don't, um, when do we actually hear this in the movie? We hear it. There's a couple of times we hear it. I think when, when Marty is, is outrunning the Libyans, mm-hmm. we hear it when Marty is outrunning Biff and his gang. And then we hear it like the full, the full bore orchestra version of it, or just any version of the theme. Uh, the full bore orchestra. Okay. Well, they, and then the, the, finally, um, when Marty goes back in time with the clock tower and the lightning and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Because because it's sort of presented as an opening theme, which it is in the second movie, as they're yes. flying through the clouds. But so that we actually don't hear it until almost the end of the film. I. In but it's that. so good. It's like one of those songs that it makes you just sit there and watch the credits because you just want to hear the end of the song. Yes. It's so, it's just, I mean, we can just gush over it all day, but it's so good. Yeah, it it's really. It's a damn good piece of music. And I wish I knew a little bit more about kind of classical music so that I could talk about the, the structure of it. But it does, put it on while you're driving sometime. It really, like, it makes <laughs> your drive that much better. So, I will do that. I next next time I'm going to work in the morning, I will do that. So... Uh, tell me how it works out. So, um, yes. but this is where where everything kind of breaks up because the you know you think about this as a as a record, which I do have, or um, as a cassette, which I did have. This is one of the few albums I've actually owned on uh, on all formats. So, oh, nice! Um, I love this album that much. But um, the the stuff that is in the fifties is all on the second side. So all of the 80s music is the A side and the 50s music is the B side. So rather than doing it chronologically, they sort of break it up by era. Okay, yeah, that's that's kind of cool. Yeah, but it makes kind of talking about the film difficult because normally yeah. we would just be like, okay, and then this is when he arrives in 1950, this is when he does this. Um, so that's that's... Sort of, so just bear with us, listeners, as we meander our way through Back to the Future. <laughs> so I goofed up. There are two versions. There are apparently two versions of the Back to the Future theme on this soundtrack, and I misspoke. There's Back to the Future by the Out of Time Orchestra, and then the Back to the Future Overture by the Out of Time Orchestra. So you get two for the price of one here. So basically, you get your your, your short and punchy Back to the Future theme, and then you get sort of the full sweeping. Uh, overture of the Back to the Future music. Mm-hmm. So, which some of that there's a there's a beautiful bit, and and you hear it um like when uh Marty is running up to Doc, the string section. It's just this beautiful lilting string section. Only a few bars. Oh, kills me every time. <laughs> beautiful. The the one that always gets me is the, it's the scene where George finally stands up to Biff. And he and Lorraine walk off, and it's just that that beautiful, like sort of the love theme version of Back to the Future. Yes, and it's just it's so it's like everything is finally right with the world, and everything is just sunshine and puppy dog farts, and it's just, <laughs> I love it. I, and that's actually that's such a weird scene. Like looking at it now, and partially in sort of Me Too, and because he's essentially gonna rape Lorraine. Yeah, I mean, is she saying like no? And he's like, you know, you want it. And, and so but George the, stands up to him. But then like later, like Biff is like a family friend. Like, remember that time you tried to rape my wife? 
<laughs> right, like George just keeps Biff around for some reason. Yeah. It's really strange. Like I don't know if if I feel like if my husband like hired a dude who tried to sexually assault me to like do my car, like polish my car, I would not like that at all. Right. <laughs> That's just And I I guess the only the only uh, explanation I can think of is like Hill Valley is a small town and you would rather you would like you want to keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Maybe or maybe he apologized. It was just like, I'm sorry, I was a real jerk. And it took a punch in the face from Crispin Glover to make me see the error of my ways. I grew up I was filled with toxic masculinity. And I hope one day you can forgive me, Lorraine. Like maybe. Maybe. I but like, I like to think I mean that. I mean, realistically, eh, come yeah. on. So, um, <laughs> but no, you're right. Like it, it play. I think that scene plays a lot harder now than it did because, like, you want to stand up and cheer when George belts Biff in the face. Now, like, it's a great scene already, but now it's like, good, fuck that guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and then it it does. It comes again. We go from that that really light bit where they're in the car and she's you know stolen uh her mom's liquor and mm. is essentially trying to fuck her son which <laughs> is really terrifying when you think about it um yeah because like he he knows the stakes and then she is just like all in on it like let's do this yeah and and going against everything that she had said you know we talked about setting up in the in the beginning when she's talking to his sister you know, I right. never, you know, sat in a parked car with a boy. And so Marty, having grown up listening to all of that, is just like, oh, shit, my mom. Is yeah. And, and she's like, when she's like, uh, Marty, I've, you know, I'm 18 years old. You don't think I haven't done this before. I know. It's like, <laughs> Lorraine, girl, get it. Get it, girl. Just not from Marty. <laughs> yeah, just not from Marty. But like, but from Jump Street, she is just. I don't even want to say it because I feel weird, but like she is just thirsty for Marty. She, she's GTF. Yeah. So. And you know what? 50s Lorraine can get it. She can get it. Oh, she's a babe. Total babe. Um, Damn, Lorraine. All right. She's fine. Um, she is. But uh, <laughs> so, but it does. It goes from that. Like that's it's that's played to be funny. Like, ha ha. He can't kiss her and again like watching this as kids we're thinking like he's gonna kiss his mom um yeah but watching it as adults you're like oh jesus uh but what are we getting ourselves into here yeah but then it goes immediately dark really dark and and again as a kid you don't think like he's gonna rape her you think like he's gonna kiss her without her permission which is not good and you shouldn't do that but like Mm -hmm. that point you might not know and then when you think that this is a PG movie that essentially has a near rape scene in it, 80s were fucked up, man. Yeah, and this was even like after the period where they invented like PG 13. So, yeah, they were still kind of lax with what they were going to let, let uh, PG audiences see yeah. in 1985. Yeah. So, um... so, so yeah, I guess, I guess we're going to jump ahead now to, uh, I mean, you already named the worst song on the, on the soundtrack. I think I'm going to name number two. Um, Heaven is One Step Away by Eric Clapton, God, I hate which we song. hear again, just like Time Bomb Town, only about five seconds of on the radio. Yes, 
in his other radio when he arrives back in 1985 and there's the, the drunk guy has it on his radio. <laughs> Eric, like, yeah, Marty gets out of the car, looks around in 1985. Eric Clapton is playing shitty reggae on the radio. It's Everything like, is right with God. the world. It was great. Everything looks great. This was still in that period where we would let Eric Clapton get away with playing reggae, right? I think so. And actually, um, that song appears on the album Behind the Sun, which title comes from a Muddy Waters, uh, Louisiana Blues. And this... It's also my favorite Red Hot Chili Peppers song. <laughs> um, this album actually should be the greatest thing in the whole world. Uh, it's got Phil Collins on it. Uh, it's got it produced by Ted Templeman. Uh, it's got uh, Greg Philinges. It's got um, Steve Lukather, Jeff Porcaro. Um, actually, sorry, it wasn't produced by Ted Templeman. Ted Templeman played the shaker, the tambourine, and the timbales. Uh, and Phil Collins produced. Ted Templeman did uh-huh. some production work. But um, it's also got who's playing rhythm guitar on um, track five, which is something's happening. Lindsay fucking Buckingham. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, um, but this is Wait. Th- so this comes off an album with some serious studio cred, which um, <laughs> is no excuse for how shitty it should be. And there's just there's no reason. You have Steve Lukather. You have you've got two members of Toto. You've got Steve Lukather and Jeff Percaro. You have no reason. You have Phil fucking Collins. What's your fucking excuse? This is what we in the 80s called a super group. And still, we got this. Exactly. Um, and this oh. album does, however, have my the one Eric Clapton song that doesn't make me filled with rage. And that is Forever Man. But the song Heaven is One Step Away was supposed to be on this album and was actually switched over to the Back to the Future soundtrack. So it doesn't actually appear on the album. I did all that research for nothing. So what you're saying is this is the hold me, thrill me, kiss me, kill me of the Back to the Future soundtrack. It is, except that that song is awesome, and this song is hot garbage. I will not argue that. So um, I actually hate this song for incredibly personal reasons. Oh, no. This sounds like there's a story behind (laughs) it. There is a very sad story. So um, we had awesome stories about how... uh, Back, uh, Back to the Future played into one of the happiest days of my life. Um, right. I had the sound. I was obsessed with this movie when I was ten, and I had the soundtrack. And um, obviously, this song uh, was on it. And the summer I was ten years old, uh, there was a couple girls went missing. Um, Polly Class and Sarah Ann Wood among them. And Sarah Ann Wood was kidnapped only a few hours from my house, and. I uh, Sarah Ann Wood was never found. Polly Class oh was God. found dead. And uh they eventually got both their killers. Um and but um the lyrics, I want to read you the lyrics to this song. Okay. So you have to sort of think like this is summer I'm 10, and you know, these girls were just taken. And right. this is as as you're starting to get a little older and starting to sort of find your way in the world. And that's when you sort of start realizing like the world isn't like a perfectly nice, fun place. So uh, the opening lyrics are, we searched all through the night. I couldn't find it. You couldn't find it. I knew something wasn't right. I couldn't find it. You couldn't find it. And they say heaven is one step away. And that in the context of what I was living through at the time 
seems really fucking terrifying. That's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and I think this song is probably like about his divorce from Patty Boyd or whatever. But that's like when I hear that song, that's what it makes me think of. Yikes. So fuck Eric Clapton, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, fuck him and his stupid song. And yeah. So and like, and that's one of those things like probably fundamental to my development as a crime writer. Mm-hmm. But like, Jesus Christ, that had like a huge impact on me. And that song like makes me have almost not panic attacks, but like it makes me nervous when I hear it. Um, And like, I try to tell myself like, oh, what it's about, but it's still, it's still there. Um, So yeah, like I said, fuck Eric Clapton. So that's a really, really sad story. I'm sorry to bring the podcast down, everybody. My apologies to my Uh, dead children. So like the whole song has this sort of aura of death around it. Mm-hmm. and it just it completely clouds my listening so um wow yeah uh, yeah i don't know where to go from here yeah. <laughs> go to the silly question okay uh, i'm gonna take us back to the beginning of the movie because this is the this is the one and only movie note that i wrote when i was watching this film earlier how do we feel about the fact that back to the future and Wee's big adventure both came out the same year and both feature hilarious breakfast machines uh we feel like we living in in 2018 do not have enough hilarious breakfast machines that is an acceptable answer i feel like we were promised ridiculous breakfast machines and we did not get them like peewee's big adventure gives us a breakfast machine that actually works Mm -hmm. and back to the future gives us one that does not work but not for lack of trying so and it does the uh he is giving einstein plenty of dog food Plenty of gross, yeah, rotting dog food. Well, but Einstein isn't there to eat it uh, because he exactly. hasn't disintegrated. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's you know, those... it's not Einstein's fault. Yeah. That's actually not the doc's fault. Lines, like, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein that gets <laughs> quoted in my household all the time. <laughs> like, growing up, that is just like, it still shows up in text chains, like, between my my dad and my sisters and I. We <laughs> quote back to the future incessantly. So once again, let's go. Now that we're back in time, I feel like we need to round out uh, side A of the soundtrack. Oh boy, here we go. Um, so let's just face the music and say that "Back in Time" is a bullshit song. It is a terrible song. <laughs> so Huey Lewis gave us two songs for the price of one. Here we got "The Power of Love" and we got "Back in Time." "Back in Time" actually pertains to the movie. And I think that makes it much, much worse. Yes. And this is like a book report by someone who didn't read the book. That is what, <laughs> yes. Yes. That is what this song sounds like. Uh, tell me, doctor, where are we going this time? Is it the 50s or 1999? At no point in the series do they go to 1999. He could have just as easily said 1985 and it would have worked exactly the same. Exactly. So it's this song is corny and it's dumb. And for every Highway to the Danger Zone, for every Ghostbusters, for every theme that like pertains to a movie, I feel like there is one of these. And mm-hmm. this song is terrible and that's why it's not the Back to the Future theme. Um, Power of Love is the Back to the Future theme. And this brings up an interesting point. Okay. Because we argued this on Twitter. Yes, we did. And there are, well, Joe and I didn't, because Joe and I are right and good, 
And there's like 65% of you on my Twitter, you know who you are, who are bad and terrible. Because this is the end theme. This plays, once again, it plays on Marty's radio when he shows up. Um, Faye wakes up in his bed in 1985, thinks it was all a dream, and surprise, his parents are happily married, and his brother and sister are successful, yet still living at home in their crummy suburban development. But um, we've got this playing over the end credits. Uh, I feel like in the Back to the Future trilogy, there's a better end credit song. Yeah, and it's called Double Back by ZZ Top. <laughs> It's a fucking banger, as the kids would say. It, it is. This movie, it's, this song slaps. <laughs> so, uh, and this, like uh, Back in Time, is featured in the film, but a little differently. So we're, we're jumping ahead to Back to the Future 3. Right, yeah, we're gonna skip skip ahead in time, almost as though we had a time machine ourselves. We are skipping forward to Back to the Future 3. <laughs> So, uh, and where does this appear in Back to the Future 3? It appears twice. Uh, it appears twice. The first time it appears, um, Doc and Marty have gone back to 1885 for for, for various reasons, and they're attending the, uh, I guess, inauguration ceremony for the clock tower, that the Hill Valley clock tower, which is going to be you know, important in Back to the Future 1. And the band that is playing there is none other than ZZ Top. And they are playing a very countryfied hillbilly version of Double Back, uh, arranged by Alan Silvestri. And it's very whimsical, and I kind of love it. It's awesome and great. And then uh, Doc and, and Mary Steenberg dance, and that makes me happier than literally anything else on the planet. Speaking of, rays of, speaking of rays of sunshine, Mary Steenberg steals that whole movie. Oh, she's amazing, and I had such a girl crush on her, and still do. Um, and also, she's married to my boyfriend, Ted Danson, so... Ah, there you go. <laughs> but but uh, the second time we hear Double Back... Uh, it's the official ZZ Top version of the song over the end credits. Yes. And, and it's it's just it's just a good rockin' tune. It feels like a, it feels like a song that could have been on Eliminator, but for whatever reason was not. Because they had to save it for Back to the Future 3. And yeah. although it does not appear on the soundtrack, only the acoustic version. Appears, yes. Which is the saddest thing in the world. It's a, it's a, it's a huge missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the other thing I'll say about Double Back is that it gets a delightfully stupid music video. Yes. I guess we can talk about music videos here, too, because uh, uh, Power of Love gets a, a video as well. But uh, the Double Back video is just kind of – it's ZZ Top playing their song in the bar from Back to the Future 3. And they've they've sort of cut themselves into scenes from Back to the – no, they – let me actually. We have to switch that. It's usually the band cutting themselves into scenes from a movie. This video has the has the band with scenes from characters from the movie cut into their video. Yes, and it's very poorly done. And the first time I watched it, I thought I was watching like somebody's really shitty home version that they had like taped off TV and then filmed with a camcorder because it was so. <laughs> 
distorted and i was like this can't be a real video and it's like sure enough it has like zz top greatest hits it's like uh, nope that's just the video nope yeah um i there i have one disappointment with this song what's that they didn't play it when i saw them this summer oh you know i was holding out hope so uh i i would love to know if that's one that they they ever play at all i doubt it um but i was i was hoping I was really kind of hoping to hear Double Back because it's just, it's such a killer. And I was in the Back in Time camp for a while because I'm an idiot and because it's kind of catchy and kind of cute. But then I heard Double Back uh, mm-hmm. sometime around last year. I'm like, no, this song rules. Uh, it's it's sexy? Almost. It's like really slick and it, it hints at the film without being so blatant as Back in Time is. And uh, you know, it talks- the lyrics are, the lyrics are a little more artful in in talking about going back and doing things. Yeah, the, the better than um, back in time. Yes. So uh, let's talk about talk about the lyrics to Double Back, and then we're going to talk about uh, the lyrics, compare them, why they rule to the lyrics in uh, uh, Back in Time. So, so, so you get the Double Back lyrics. I will go get the Back in Time lyrics. The one that really stands out to me, like, I've been lost and found down in a deep, dark hole. And you think about how they have to blast uh, 50s Doc and and Marty having lost 1985 Doc at the end of the second movie. Uh, Got struck by lightning. Who knows where he is. Uh, Now, Marty's stuck in the 50s. He's got to do something. A letter arrives, and they have to go in and find the DeLorean, which Doc has placed in an old mine. And so that lyric, I've been lost and found down in a deep, dark hole, look like my luck has changed, I've been rearranged, and I'm coming out on a roll. Um, And the idea of doubling back, because Marty has gone to the 50s, 85 Marty is looking for previous 85 Marty. Now they gotta go to 1985 to get 19, or to 1885 to get 1985 Doc back to... And I feel like that uh, is much better than mm-hmm. it's yeah. more subtle. It stands out. You could hear that song without hearing, without knowing anything about Back to the Future, and it would still be a fucking. Rager. It would still make complete sense, yeah. yeah. But then also, you know, it's there's the line at the end of Back to the Future Two where Marty says like, "I'm back, I'm back from the future." Yeah. So like, and and then we got to go back again. So yeah, I got back shot, makes sense. Yeah, I got shot through a space not long ago. I thought I knew the place so well. <laughs> nope you're off to night you're off to 1885 boy i th- so. i thought i knew hill valley back then yeah but um and it is it's just there's something really just gritty and sexy people don't give zz top enough credit because they're kind of goofy and they sing songs like tube steak boogie they are brilliant yeah. musicians they are they, and, they landed on one. They landed on one good gimmick, and they played it like right to the bank. Oh yeah! And, and I honestly can't can't you know fault them for it. I mean, good on you guys. Yeah, because they can back it up with real real chops, you know. Yeah, and actually, having seen them uh, this summer, they they still sound great. Uh, they're they play just absolutely tight. They're they were mm-hmm. it was a really 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 good show, except that they didn't play double back. So. Well, I mean. <laughs> I'll accept that. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. They're still they're still kicking. Yeah. So uh if you can see ZZ Top, everyone, please do. 
a lot of fun. Now, now compare that to the lyrics to Back in Time, which we've already kind of alluded to, but... Um, I mean, it just starts out, tell me, Doctor, where are we going this time? Is it the 50s or 1999? <laughs> All I wanted to do was play my guitar and sing. So Marty McFly wrote this song. And Marty that McFly makes sense because Marty McFly, Marty McFly is kind of a dumbass. <laughs> and a dumbass would write this song. Yeah. This is somebody who only saw the first 20 minutes of the movie. Uh yeah yeah it's like where where did this go from here eh, who cares yeah so I'm sure it's fine I'm sure he doesn't fuck his mom yeah I gotta get back in, wait gotta get back in time for what back in time <laughs> for I mean uh, the real answer to that question is back in time so Doc doesn't die which is which makes the song dark and this is not a dark song no we already had this the song dark does not have song. a dark a dark bone in its body yeah and uh and. Yeah, back in time to not play the Battle of the Bands? You suck, Marty. <laughs> you don't do- bet your future on one roll of the dice. I hate that, that line so much. I don't know. Nobody why. gambles in this movie. I know, but like, I just, I really, I hate that line. I can't explain why. It just, like, that's, I could get through the first verse. The minute it hits that, I'm just like, I fucking hate this song. I mean, but then it goes, you know, better remember, lightning never strikes twice. That okay, is the thing I'll... that happens in the movie. Lightning yeah, strikes. Like, I saw that which, movie. Ugh, you know what? I'll give you that one. No, the, light, the lightning only struck the one time. Yeah. Because it never anyway. strikes twice weren't you paying attention. Uh, oh, fuck. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Please don't drive at 88. Shut don't want to be late again. What does that mean? Ugh. No, don't drive at 88 miles an hour. Don't use the time machine. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Fuck you, Marty. I know. It's like, I don't want to be late again. Again, late for what? One, you have a time machine, so you can't be late. Two, you have nothing going on. You'll be late for school again and get detention for Mr. Strickland? Oh, my God. Mr. Strickland is like the one constant in the entire series. Like, he will always be a... Vice principal who gives people detention and time machines will not escape him. No, although um, have you ever watched the uh, deleted scenes from the third one? Yeah, where they yeah. where uh, those of you who haven't one, what are you doing with your life? Two, uh, Mad Dog shoots uh, the Elder Strickland. He shoots Sheriff Strickland, and, and that's him. supposed to be. Principal Strickland's like what grandfather or great grandfather? I think it would be grandfather. Um, okay, because he's because when he sees him in the because it's it's Principal Strickland in the fifties and it's still Principal Strickland in the eighties. Right. So, so he must he must be ancient in yeah, the eighties then. It's like a thousand years old. He yeah. It might even be uh, Principal Strickland in the eighteen eighty. He might just be a time lord. He might be the Highlander. <laughs> He could be the high. You know what? If 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 James Tolkien is the Highlander, like you know what, that makes total sense to me. Yeah. I mean, even today, even now, like, I'm, well, actually, I'm not going to say that because I don't know. <laughs> but no, like, it, it kind of makes you makes you wonder if the Stricklands and the Tannins have this long standing grudge that we kind of never got to see in the extended like Back to the Future canon. I will watch that movie. Mm-hmm. So, frankly, I'll watch any Back to the Future movie. They're never going to make them because they're good and we can't make them better however the back to the future game by uh the now defunct telltale is fantastic i haven't finished it but what i've played is 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 
it, it scratches that itch. I'll say and that. What song appears in Telltale's Back to the Future? Uh, the Back to the Future Overture, I hope. And Back in Time. And Back in Time? No. Oh, shit. <laughs> gotta, get that mo- gotta get that money, Huey. Oh, yeah. Uh, what's you know, your the, one, the one thing I'll say for Back in Time, like I'll, in its defense, I'll say this. The song is bad, but not because of the time. Not because the time. <laughs> yeah, Morris Day ruined this song. <laughs> Said no one ever about anything. <laughs> I, okay, let me start that over. Shit. The one thing I will say in Back in Time's defense is that, sure, it's a bad song, but not because of the news. The actual, like, instrumentation of that song is amazing. It's just Huey Lewis getting stupid, stupid lyrics that yeah. kind of torpedoes the whole thing. <laughs> really? Really ridiculous. Do we have any more stupid lyrics? I'd love to hear some more. Oh my god. Okay. No, we don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, at the very end, he says, get back, Marty. Gotta get back in time. Gotta get back in time. Get so, back. Get back. It became a Beatles song at the end. So he's not... Marty isn't writing this song. So apparently not. Marty isn't writing this. So it's it's either Huey Lewis or... Uh, I don't know. Is Doc writing this song? No, because well, then he's talking to himself. Oh. Is uh, is Jennifer writing this song? Jennifer is writing this song. She wants him to get back in time so they can go on their date. Yes. See, it makes sense now. The whole everything is eliminated. You don't want Marty to be late for that the big the big date up at the lake. I know they're gonna throw some sleeping bags in the back of the truck. And then a week later, Jennifer's gonna be late. Oh God! <laughs> God damn it! That's right, they have to get married. Um, Something's gotta be done about their kids. I know. So we're already into uh into the second verse or into the second movie, and we haven't yeah. even we were only on the A side. So <laughs> but that's the good thing, is like it unfortunately we wrap up the A side with a garbage song that is terrible. And my husband uh just walked in and he is making the meanest face. He's so mad. We had this argument, uh the double back versus uh Back in time argument, and I think it's probably caused more divorces than anything. All right, so we want to hop over to side two. Flip it over. Let's do side two. All right. Um, Once again, we get that overture. Yes, that big, beautiful overture. It's eight minutes long, which uh, when you are a child and you just want to get to the rest of the pop songs and you don't want to listen to a dumb piece of classical music is the longest thing in the world. (laughs) So... And you have a yeah, tape, so you gotta fast that. forward it, and it's just like ah. So, I've. But then we then we jump to uh, the start of sort of the fifties part of the album proper mm-hmm. with uh, Etta James. Yes. Hey baby, what do I have to do to make you love me too? Where does the wallflower play in the film? It plays, um, we are in the 50s now, it plays when George goes into the diner and where he says one of the best lines in the film, which is, uh, you are my density, meaning to say you are my destiny. And my density has brought me to you. <laughs> and your density. There's actually a music cue that we don't have on the soundtrack, which is something we're going to see later in the, the second um previous to this scene the reason he has the courage to go talk to lorraine is because marty mcfly dressed in his radiation suit and armed with his walkman and a van halen tape 
has blasted Van Halen into his ears and told him that if he does not at t- take Lorraine to the dance, he's going to melt his brains. And also he calls himself Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan. Yes. Um, and I'm not sure what Van Halen's song it is. We know it's Van Halen because we clearly see the tape marked Van Halen. Wikipedia says this is a song called uh, Out the Window, which is from a movie huh. called The Wild Side, which is the one and only uh, movie that Eddie Van Halen actually s- scored. Um, and that's one we might want to look into here someday. Hmm. It's, it changed the course of George McFly's life. Yep. As many, as many Van Halen songs, you know, do <laughs> yes, they, for most people. They give nerds the power to ask ladies out. but um it's actually really interesting about this song um it's uh sort of colloquially known as um roll with me henry although it's called the uh the wallflower um it was a response to the song work with me annie and it is raunchy uh because the roll with me does not refer to dancing, at least not with your clothes on. Um, the original version was uh, considered too risque to play on pop radio stations at the time. It is sexy as mm. fuck. I, I believe, isn't <laughs> Mr. Dorcas over here talking about music? Uh, I believe that's where the term rock and roll comes from. Isn't it, Libby? <laughs> that I don't know. Actually. No, I, I think that might actually be true. Oh. Like, rock and roll is is a reference to what the kids are doing in the back seat while the music's playing. Whoa, I did not know that. That's awesome. Um, I, Mrs. Uh, has never been in the back seat of somebody's car. So, alas. Um, <laughs> sexy time or no, back seats are not comfortable. Yeah, I would imagine. No. Um, so, but this... Uh, this was a certified rhythm and blues hit. Uh, mm-hmm. Etta James received a Grammy Hall of Fame award in 2008 for this recording. Oh, nice. Yes. And this actually is from 1955. So so it's uh, era appropriate. This is era appropriate. Um, and there's uh, several versions of it which are re- uh, recorded as Dance With Me, Henry, including uh, one by Georgia Gibbs. And then later, Etta James recorded this as Dance With Me, Henry. But I like this version better. It's sexier. It's a really fun track. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, it was also included in Sister Act. I did not know that. Uh, that's what Wikipedia says. I Okay, I'll trust. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, this is probably the best song out of the 50s that we get. Um yeah, because then the rest of the soundtrack is uh, is all from kind of the same group and the same part of the film, and a lot there's a lot of other '50s songs that we don't get on the soundtrack that were in the film. Like, I'm surprised that Mr. Sandman's not on the soundtrack. Yeah, and I'm not sure, um, you know, why why that is. Probably um, a rights issue from somebody. I guess, um, but it it really is. That's a that's a fun little track, and that actually when does that play? It plays when Marty is like first walking into town, into like the the town square of Hill Valley, um, in the in nineteen fifty five, and Mister Sandman plays as one more cue that like, hey guys, it's the fifties now. Yeah, 
Which is great because, while well, that's a very 50s song, they could have gone with something like really, really like Disney World 50s. And yeah. this is, it's a nice, light little song. Um, and so, and again, like props for going with the, the Etta James track because you could have mm-hmm. gone with, you know, something much cheesier. You could have gone Pat Boone or uh, I don't know who was kicking in the 50s. I don't know. I don't, I don't know much 50s, to be perfectly frank. Yeah. Rock um, Around the Clock or something. There you like, go. Really you go. like the kind of thing that everybody puts on their poodle skirt for the sixth grade talent show kind of mm-hmm. musical theater bullshit. Yeah. That sock hop music. Keeping the faith by Billy Joel, you know. Yeah, Um, yeah. So, any chance to rag on Billy Joel, we will take it. We we are going to seize it, seize the day. (laughs) So, um, yeah, and then we get to Marvin Barry and the Starlighters. So. The the big the big finale of the film where uh, it's the enchantment under the sea dance and Marty (laughs) is is sort of press ganged into playing guitar because Marvin Barry. Slices his hand open, getting Marty out of the trunk of his car because that's what Biff and his goons threw him. Uh, so Marty is on, is on stage playing with the band, and well, first they're playing Night Train, which Marty does not play with. And Night Train is, uh, I guess, it's a fairly famous. Uh, 50s composition mm-hmm. on under the night train by jimmy forrest uh in page appearances in film there are about a dozen different uh bullet points here it was in rush hour it was in raging bull it's in quadrophenia it's on star trek it's on happy days it's everywhere yeah it's a very very classic kind of uh american blues piece yeah so it's it's an instantly recognizable uh riff there mm-hmm so. And then uh, then from there, we jump into Earth Angel, which Marty does play on. Yes, and it's and that's when he starts to disappear. So uh, it's uh, that's that's kind of the, the real climax of the film. Like, is it are they going to kiss? Is Marty going to disappear? And spoiler alert. They kiss yes and him. no. Yeah, Marty. Yes and disappear. no. But actually, um, uh, the guy who is playing Marvin Barry is an actor by the name of Harry Waters Jr., who is fucking amazing. Um, he played the role of Belize in the first production of Angels in America. And this rendition of Earth Angel earned him a gold record. Really? Yes. Oh, good for him. Yeah. Um, he is a Princeton graduate. He is um, just a, he has a, a short career. Um, he reprised the role of Marvin Barry in Back to the Future 2, but um, now he's a tenured professor in the theater department at uh, Mount Cluster College. Okay. Yeah. And it's uh, and has a gold record for a movie he made in 1985 that he has a role that spans maybe 15 minutes in. That's really impressive. That like, fucking I, rules. It's, it, 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 I, I, lo- I always love it when, when like bit parts become kind of somewhat uh lucrative or yeah. at least uh recognized like it's 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 i don't know what the word i'm trying to find here but it's it's heartwarming that yes. there it is it's heartwarming. yeah you're like way to go harry way to go so, harry you did it and, um, but yeah earth angel uh it's by a group called the, the penguins and this song just like night train has about a thousand different covers out there um but I guess that's kind of what Mar- what Marvin Berry and the Starlighters, that's kind of their thing, is that they're just playing covers. Yeah, they're just kind of your local kind of a wedding band. Um, yeah. And uh, Earth Angel, uh, 
this I thought was like the coolest thing in doing my research for this. Um, I was so successful. Let me get the cat off the laptop. Um, <laughs> that they ran out of the the demand bankrupted the record company. They ran out of label paper. So the copy of Earth Angel that you might have is going to look different from the one I have. They could not produce enough of this record. People love this song so much, which is amazing to think about now. Like, I can't even think of, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, now that doesn't happen because we have, you know, MP3s and it it just literally does not happen. But, like, I can't think of the last album where that, like, there was a, a demand, such a demand that, like, they couldn't keep up with production. Or that, that I mean, everybody said, everybody covered this song. The song was everywhere. It was completely ubiquitous. Um, and even, uh, you know, just everyone played it. And this was actually um, the B-side. This was, uh, it, it was the B-side of um, Hey Senorita, they thought would be the hit. That was the A-side. But um, people just loved Earth Angel so much that uh, DJs would play that instead. <laughs> so even though it, even though it was the B side, it was technically they're still their debut single. Yes. <laughs> wow. So, um, and it's a great song. I mean, it really it's it's a really lovely piece of music. Yeah, I mean it's 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 kind of, it's one of the one of the songs from the fifties that like pretty much everybody who's familiar with the fifties has heard. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know anyone who dislikes, you know, this kind of music. Well, I can't say that. Yeah. Sure. But you but, know, yeah. Those, again, those people are crazy. Yes. But um, this unfortunately leads us into the one piece of this film that does not hold up. Kind of the most problematic yeah. uh, piece, which coincidentally is uh, our under the covers feature for tonight. Welcome to Under the Covers. Yes. So, um, this actually challenges our notion of a cover song, as we previously discussed, with uh, Go Your Own Way and Shooting Star on Clerks and, um, what was the one on Back to the Future? Um, smash It Up. Oh, yeah, and Smash It Up on, uh, yeah. because this one is actually performed in the film, but one, it's not performed very well. It's performed by Marty McFly, playing as Mark Campbell, actually voiced for Marty McFly with a guitar solo by Tim May. So um, it is credited on the soundtrack as Marty McFly and the Starlighters. what's the real implication behind this is the the problem here is that it's it's putting up a an alternate future where a white guy invents rock and roll for a a, an african-american band to play yes and at the seeing this as a kid i thought it was you know very funny because of that time travel element marvin barry goes and he calls his cousin chuck and says you know that's new sound you've been looking for well, listen to this. And mm-hmm. it's, the joke is, like, he's playing a song that he knows as an old song. It goes back to where he talks about he's watching TV with Lorraine's family and they see uh, a show and he says, oh, I saw this on a rerun. 
And he says, well, what's the brother says, what's a rerun? So, but the, it, yeah, the implications are that the, the whitewashing of rock and roll is something that we've done way too often. And so this has not aged particularly well. Right. And even in 1985, Marty refers to Johnny B. Good as an oldie. Mm-hmm. Or, or rather, or rather, 1985 Marty McFly refers to Johnny B. Good as an oldie to the people of the 1950s, and they're just kind of like, "What? What does that mean?" Yeah, and, and he says, "And he says, but your kids are gonna love it," which I take issue with that on a script note because if that's the one thing that they don't show like really tight, because if like he had been playing Johnny B. Good earlier. And then played it at the dance, then that right. would that would make sense. But like at no point does anyone in nineteen eighty five say like, you know what, I really love Chuck Berry. Uh, but, but then you're putting you're putting forward a, a an alternate version of this film where Marty goes back in time and plays the power of love to a crowd in the nineteen fifties. Yes, that would be awesome. Or the Van Halen tape that he had. Or okay, so then so let's say they play the power of love, and he's playing it with an with an all black backing band, and then they're taking inspiration, and then Martin, and then Chuck Berry's taking inspiration from that, and all of a sudden we've got a, um the night people in the nineteen fifties like have invented rock and roll based on Huey Lewis and the News from thirty years in the future. <laughs> well, but especially when you think about Huey Lewis, I uh, did a lot of. His music has a lot of a 50s sound because it has that doo-wop sound. Yeah, okay, that's true. Yeah. So it it, it all comes back. Uh it, it doubles back in, in Oh, a way. nice. <laughs> Nicely done. So uh so that's that's the one piece where like the the film goes kind of out of its way for a joke. And yeah, and like it, it plays it so hard that the like even in Back to the Future 2 we're we're kind of forced to sit through it again. Yeah, and it's really in 2018 it is like the most cringeworthy thing in the yeah. world. Um it was but it was funny maybe, you know. I mean, it was I funny the- once but then yeah, it, it's it's aged kind of the, the poorest out of everything yes. else in the film. So, in a film that is otherwise perfect and amazing and, and pure and good. Absolutely. So, but it was I think we could say that it was pro- it was met with the purest intentions. Um, and I don't think this was intended to whitewash rock and roll. That's just the unintended consequences. Of yeah, it just a sort of happened. But it's also one of those things where, like, when people talk about like how do we uh, how do we remake Back to the Future? That's that that's one of those things where, like, well, I, see, I don't know because if we if we remake Back to the Future now, they're going to have to go back to the '80s and play a song that's popular in the 2010s. God, and... he's going to be he's going to be playing Wrecking Ball, isn't he? Oh fuck! You're right. Or no, it's gonna be it's gonna be like um, some Twenty One Pilots song. Or oh God, uh, I want to die. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, just kill me now. Like, take my twenty dollars and then just kill me just, now. Just use it to shoot me in the face. <laughs> but um. But yeah, like that's 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 like the the big problem. I think I, I see people talking about how to remake Back to the Future. Like, well, what do we do with this scene? I don't know. <laughs> you don't remake Back to the Future, idiots. Actually, um, they own the copyright. Until, they it cannot be remade until both of them are dead. So we're gonna get a remake in about twenty years, then. Yeah. Um. But that that's um, kind of de- like we're gonna we're, we're going us all. 
you and I are you and I are going to get a Back to the Future remake in our lifetimes if the planet doesn't burn to a crisp. I, for one, welcome Lavos. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke for the Chrono Trigger nerds. There you go. <laughs> the two who are listening. Hello. Um, but that actually wraps up the the soundtrack. Do yeah, not get yeah. Any more. There's no um, there's no other additional pieces from the score. Um, no, that's it. It ends with uh, with um, Whitey be good. That's what I think <laughs> we should call it. So Johnny be white. Um, Johnny be so white. Yes, it's like the and it's it's not even that good of a cover. It's really, it's terrible. It's yeah. I mean, it's, it's I was like, gonna say it's, it's like okay. It's it. perfectly adequate for you know a high school band or whatever. And then he goes into this, you know, the the weird like Eddie Van Halen kind of riffing and eh, whatever. We get it, dude. You love your guitar. We get it, Marty. You really sleep with your guitar. Oh, Marty. I love Marty. He's so sure and good, but he's such an idiot. He, he um, means well, but he's really a dum-dum. Yeah, he's a dum-dum. But Michael J. Fox is such a good person that... I mean, yeah, you, you you buy that Marty is a dum-dum because Michael J. Fox does it so well. Like, yeah. I have no, no qualms with him as an actor. Yes. Well, and, and it's also... You kind of can't help but love Marty because, frankly, we don't deserve Michael J. Fox. He's too good for all of us. Mm. Um, he's such a great, beautiful and perfect and wonderful person. So e- even in movies like The Frighteners, where he's supposed to be playing like the scuzziest person in town, like <laughs> you cannot help but just love this person <laughs> because it's it's Michael J. Fox. Come and on, reason, he's like fucking adorable. You're just like I don't buy you a scuzzy. You're just such a per- you're just you have that cute little Canadian face. I can't stay mad at you. <laughs> but um, but I think that means like so. Let's the. Yeah, let's wrap this up. The, well, I was going to say no, because we still got to get to the second one. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Just briefly. Um, and this is this is the only soundtrack that um, actually has the songs on it. The other two do not. And that, while that makes sense for the, the one that takes place in the 1800s, even though it doesn't have double back and we're very upset about that, um, there is music in the second Back to the Future and none of it appears on the soundtrack. It's a, it's only a score. What's up with that? Yeah, I I don't know. I think probably it's because a lot of it is repeated from the first film. Like we get we get Johnny we get Johnny Be Good again, we get Night Train and Earth Angel again, we get uh Mr. Sandman again. And I kind of feel like they just uh said, "You know what? Why bother?" But we also get um uh Beat It in the Cafe 80s. Yeah, uh, that's right, we do. Which I could see why, I mean, the licensing rights for that would have been astronomical. But the one that I always think of when I hear, when I think about Back to the Future 2 is um, I Can't Drive 55 by Absolutely. K-R. Do you want to talk about that one? I, I don't, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. when, when, when Marty goes to when they go back to 1985 and it turns out to be the alternate evil 1985 that's ruled by you know president biff tannen known um, as regular 2018 yes yes <laughs> um we know it's the alternate 1985 because there are motorcycle gangs everywhere <laughs> and they're listening to sammy hagar's i can't drive 55 <laughs> which is about about the least 
the least badass like rock song I can imagine because like come on dude you can't drive 55 yeah well really one most things are 1960 they're, they're they're 65 miles per hour anyway it's true so like down here it's 70 come on get with the time yeah exactly come on Sammy um and also they what are you gonna drive 55 miles per hour through your suburb <laughs> exactly. Like, so, what, are the, what are the motorcycle gangs even doing in Hill Valley? Like, I get it. Sure, they're at Biff Tannen's like casino resort. Pleasure, his, his fucking Xanadu. Yeah, but like, they're just they're just sort of hanging around the town square and just ruining the place. Like, why? <laughs> because it's evil. It's evil. 1985. But like, what are you guys doing? Just drinking and sitting around and bothering you know red like what's what's going on yeah yeah basically that's what they do um that scene is so majestic and weird because there's motorcycle gangs but also some of biff biff's goons wear cowboy hats but they're in california but i'm not really sure what's going on so, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess Hill Valley there. is like further out in the desert than we think it is. Like, we don't get a good idea of where Hill Valley exists. And like, I get maybe that's, uh, that's sort of foreshadowing the third film, but they also just look tacky and dumb. And there's a lot of leopard print and poor Lorraine. Oh, I, I know. So oh, that that part that movie, like like I said earlier, it makes me really sad. Just the it whole gets, thing. It gets dark. Like, yeah. it gets real, like, domestic and, like, domestically dark. And again, it's a PG. Right, right. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, like, he hits her, and, you know, she's talking about her kids are in and out of jail, and she's got a really bad drinking problem, and she has that, that great line, uh, like, who's going to pay for your plastic surgery? And she points to her boobs, and she's like, if you want them back, you can have them, and her voice is all scratchy. And... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, she's but she's been drinking a lot and smoking a lot at the same time. and Yeah. Oh. But also, she's like kind of sexy. So. Mm-hmm. But, uh, not, not too bad looking at uh, <laughs> Leah Thompson in all three of these films. Like, yeah, kind of right. into it. So, Leah Thompson uh, in three, like, yeah, still kind of into it. <laughs> yeah, still, still could get it. Um, I'll, I'll say this, like, as far as like that section of the film goes, my favorite detail in Back to the Future Two is that like uh, one of Biff's goons in the 1950s wears 3D glasses. And then in, in 1985A, he's still wearing 3D glasses, but now they're like fancy and prescription 3D glasses. <laughs> I love it. I, know. I want a pair. The, the prescription 3D. But actually, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about Leah Thompson. on Because she's made some problematic romantic choices in films. Mm-hmm. Which do you think is worse of her 80s output? Almost fucking her kid fucking biff or fucking howard the duck Ooh, honestly it's gotta be biff okay that's fair because i feel like yeah because biff is abusive and mean um but like howard the duck is how howard the duck is a space alien and not technically a duck not that that <laughs> makes it better the point i think that we here at ost party are trying to make is that leah thompson can get it she could get it in the 80s she can still get it. She can she get, get it, it today. From anyone. So if you take nothing away from this podcast, it's that Leah Thompson can get it. <laughs> we are all about some Leah Thompson. Oh, yeah. She's a babe. Oh, yeah. 
but going back to the central thesis of this, which is soundtracks, um, yeah. <laughs> so poetic about how much we love Leah Thompson. Uh, it's almost a letdown then that the second film doesn't, they, that they couldn't be bothered with making a soundtrack. And I guess part of that is because how do you make a pop soundtrack for 2015 and, oh, I'm, when it's 1987 or whenever this film was shot. Yeah. Um, That's no, true. Like they, like they didn't, for, as much as they tried to like build out 2015 in that film, they didn't even bother trying to like think up what the pop music would sound like in that year. You okay. Know? Well, let's, uh, I want to talk a little, here's some possible songs that could have been on the soundtrack. Okay. Um, the weekend can't feel my face. Uh, four or five seconds. Kanye West. What do you mean? Justin Bieber. Um, where are you now? Skrillex. Hello. <laughs> Adele. Trap Queen. Fetty Wap. What else? Um, Cool for the Summer. Uh, Demi Lovato, which okay. I hate, and that song makes me want to murder people. Um, <laughs> Bitch Better Have My Money. And Drag Me Down. So, uh, Robert Zemeckis, uh, if you're listening, we have your 19 uh, or your 2015 soundtrack. Come uh, and get it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, I'm looking at I'm looking at uh, some more 2015 songs here, and uh, let's see. Well, okay. So no, I'm not. I'm actually just looking at. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually just looking at Carly Rae Jepsen's Emotion album, and I think that's the final answer. <laughs> No. Um, <laughs> Fine. So, although I guess uh, uh, Walk the Moon's Shut Up and Dance, which is like the only song that I liked in 2015. It's the only song that my mom is, has listened to on the radio in the last 15 years, I think, is that wow. song. I love that song. Uh, it sounds very 1985. Uh, a friend put it on a mix he made me just before I got married. We were supposed to play it at our wedding, and they didn't, and that's, that's disappointing. Yeah, so uh, I, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna give it give you that one. That's that's a good choice for uh, that. Should have been in, in uh, Back to the Future too. Yes. So um, we will remake the Back to the Future soundtrack, and you will all be disappointed because 2015 was a bad year for music. For it really so, was for so so many reasons, but yeah, particularly for yeah. Music. Well, yeah. Like I said, like every as I'm looking through all these songs, they all of them make me want to kill people. They're so terrible. There's not one good song among them. So, Skrillex. Why did we let Skrillex be a thing? Now, for so, 2015 for so long. I know 2015 has a lot to answer for, and we didn't get self-blazing shoes, and we didn't get hoverboards, and we don't have flying cars. The Cubs didn't win the World Series until the next year. We didn't get Jaws 14. And there's no Cafe 80s. The one thing 2015 did give us was an updated Back to the Future. Because we got that nice little video of uh, Doc Brown arriving in 2015. And if you haven't watched it yet. That was really kind of lovely. You know what? I remember that. It made me feel so good. It just made me so happy. Uh, did you do anything for Future Day? I wrote a, a blog post for Front Row Central back when we still did that. <laughs> um, which it was like, it was the defining moment of Back to the Future 
where I said that like the, the like the one moment in the film that sort of overshadowed everything and sort of laid out the entire thesis of the film was when Doc Brown is explaining to Marty, you know, the process he has to do to, you know, hit hit the wire at 80 miles per hour exactly as the lightning strikes. If you do all that, and then he just kind of stops and thinks about it for a second, and then he goes, if you do all that, everything will be fine. And I think that's just such a lovely way of, like, encapsulating the entire film. Like, everything that led to Marty going to the 1955 and potentially breaking up his parents and potentially killing himself and then having to get everything back together was so complicated and... um stressful and <laughs> and drawn out they're like all you have to do is do all this complicated crazy stuff and then everything will be fine and it's like yeah that's kind of life in a nutshell there's a lot of shit that we have to do in life but like if we just do it you know everything yeah, will be fine that's beautiful um we went to our friend's house and actually it was friends um and you'll see this in the show notes uh my husband and i and a bunch of our friends uh dressed up as the cast of Back to the Future for our annual Halloween parade. Uh, and at we went to their house and played the Back to the Future theme. Like, when we knew they were all home, we just, like, rolled up and blasted out our car. And their kids came out. And their kids had just watched it. And um, it was a really, really nice moment for That's all of really us. That's really cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So, um, I... But yeah, that's um, like I said, it's a, it's a great moment, and I'm sorry that we didn't live up to the promise of it. So we're, we're still we're still letting Doc Brown down. I, I feel know. like we are. He would be ashamed of all of us um, if he wasn't committed to that mental institution. That's by true. Evil Biff. Um, but I feel like I'm really surprised there isn't a cafe '80s. To be honest. Yeah, and I feel like if there were there was one or would be one it would be at like universal studios but they've gotten rid of all their back to the future stuff so i hate them that dream is dead i hate it but i'm just really surprised because like we're still you know even even in the the 80s the 50s thing was like really wrapping up and happy days and but the the 50s nostalgia we're still really pushing that and maybe that's because our uh our country's been overrun with white supremacists but and we're also still, old people. Yeah, we're still trying to do that, like, Johnny Rockets, keeping the faith, bullshit. And I'm just really surprised that there isn't, we haven't gotten the Cafe 80s yet. It's probably a, like, licensing rights issue. I don't know. But I'm just really, because is, there's yeah. nothing that our generation loves more than masturbating to the 80s. Yeah, we, we have a Cafe 80s. It's called Ready Player One. <laughs> But there's no drink specials, and I hate it. <laughs> I can't pay $20 for a cheeseburger there. You know what? That's really what it should have been. Ready Player One should have just been a fucking restaurant. <laughs> then we could then we could watch Blade Runner on all the screens, and we could we could, you know, have all of the uh the friggin' meals from your favorite movies and TV shows. Piece we of could, shit. Oh god. <laughs> I would absolutely order a Back to the Future burger. I would. I'm trash. I know it. I know what I am, Joe. <laughs> you, you have to I, have it just once. Like, you gotta I, try it. I've accepted you know? There's probably bacon on it. I've accepted this. So Bacon I, and special sauce. And the special sauce, it's just mayonnaise and ketchup. You're not <laughs> fooling anybody. I will fight you. <laughs> <laughs> I will fucking fight you, I swear to God. Um... <laughs> 
but yeah like i think there's something to be said for the fact that like back to the future like the the craze over this movie has not gone away it's only intensified in the last 30 years because it's because it's just it's a good movie it's just good you feel good when you watch it you feel amazing it's a a story that's well told it's well crafted by people who actually cared about the story they were telling and it's it's something we just don't get enough of anymore and maybe that's just me being a a, an old person in my 30s now but i i kind of firmly believe that like any any movie produced in 2018 uh we put it alongside back to the future and compare them i don't think you're gonna you know tell me that 2018 was better yeah well because it's it's a human story it's a time travel story but it is about one town and a handful of families it's about the mcflies and what they have to go through uh you know right from the from you know we we haven't really talked about the third one yet but um you know it's the mcflies trying to make it in this little uh not quite a gold rush town but this little California town where they've been able to get some land, little Irish family, and start. And it is about, you know, just the, the Stricklands and the Tannins and the Browns, or the Von Brauns. Uh, although they yeah. didn't, uh, I guess they didn't come till later, he says. I think they came in the 20s. Um, but... It's about a very, very small geographic area and a handful of families, and that makes it intimate and it makes it relatable. Uh, yeah, so it, it, it's, it's about the, the yeah, it's it's about the way that like our histories sort of if they 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 don't repeat, but they do like sort of keep getting passed down and and informing what comes later. And it's it, it as specific as it is, it's all it's very like universal and timeless, and not just because that's the company that made the film. <laughs> Um, but, yeah. <laughs> but if have you ever played the Back to the Future card game? I have not, although I think we own it. Okay. The great thing about the card game is like you you are g- given at random a character card. Like you're playing as this character in the card game, and it's all descendants of characters in the films in the story. So nice. you're playing as you're playing as the descendants of you know Strickland. You're playing as Marty's kids. You're playing as Biff's kids. You're playing as uh, Jules and Vern Brown. Yes. And it's just like you're playing as the children of these characters and you're going back in time to, to you know, set things right and win the game. But you're not playing as like the main characters. You're playing as their offspring, That's which I think is really cool. cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think we've said enough about Griff and uh, his the, the way that what is that actor's name? Tom uh, Wilson. Yeah. Tom Wilson plays yeah. Griff so unhinged. While also playing Biff as so like old and beaten down, and I really love that because I think that is probably his. Because Biff is great, Mad Dog is great, but there's something about Griff that is well, so just terrifying. Well, I love think it's it. because like in the in so. the future, like Griff has all these like cybernetic enhancements on him to make him like yeah. a like an actual like monster. Mm-hmm. And like somebody, I think even says at a certain point that like you know he's got a, a a microchip loose, and that's not a joke. He probably really does. Yeah. And because... Tom Wilson really plays it up to the hilly. Like, he's screaming his lines at at Michael J. Fox. Since when did you become the physical type? I know, and, and they're all high pitched and frantic, and there's almost uh, like Judge Doom. You know, if we're thinking about Robert Zemeckis films, like oh, there's yeah. 
this really high-pitched, frantic sound to it. And he's he is legitimately terrifying in a way that, like, Biff was mean. And because we all know a Biff, like, everyone has had a Biff in their life. Oh, yes. Um, but you hope to never have a Griff. Because, like, Griff is dangerous. Biff is an asshole, but Griff is. Right. Griff will shoot up a school. So. <laughs> he will. And then if you want to take it one step further, like, you know, a, a, a mad mad dog will just straight shoot you. you know, you're, there's no yeah. quarrel to be made there. He will just shoot you. But but Griff will fuck you up. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and mad dog sort of walks that fine line between being like a menacing asshole, but also crazy. But he mm-hmm. doesn't take, there's a sense that he doesn't take any pleasure. He's not sadistic the way Griff is. He's just, he will just shoot you. Or, I mean, he does, he does drag Marty through and try to hang him. So, on. But well, I mean, the whole, just... the whole, the whole impetus of the film of Back to the Future 3 is that Marty has to go back in time because he finds out that Mad Dog shoots Doc Brown in the back over a matter of $80. In the back. Yes. That's he will like... just shoot you. He does not care. He doesn't enjoy what yeah. he's doing. He will just shoot you. Yeah, there's no honor there. There's no, I mean, he does go to like face Marty in the, the final gunfight, but there's no honor in shooting a man in the back. No. I mean, that's what, you know, racist cops do. <laughs> that's, I mean, I'm not laughing at it, but yes, you're correct. <laughs> you thought this podcast couldn't go any darker, did you? No. Boy, do we have a surprise for you. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm all out. I'm all out of darkness tonight. Nope. I have it. It's running through my veins. But uh, yeah, so we've discussed Back to the Future and the trilogy at length for quite a while tonight. So I think it's time to wrap things up here. No, there's still no. Just kidding, we can wrap no up. There's always more. Oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> uh, I guess I guess the the legacy of of the Back to the Future soundtrack. You know, the soundtrack went gold at least. I think uh, the Power of Love was nominated for an Academy Award. It lost to Lionel Richie's "Say You Say Me" from a I film hate- called. Everything. From a film called White Nights, which is a song and film that not a single living person actually remembers. I hate that. We live in the worst fucking timeline. We do live in 1985A. Honestly, we should have we should have known that it was just gonna go downhill from there. We couldn't even give the power of love the, like the Oscar. Yeah. Which is is wild because until I did research for this episode, I thought it won. Because how does it not? Because, yeah, exactly. I mean, I love Lionel Richie. Do not get me wrong. I'm not. would never say anything bad about Lionel Richie. But come on. This is, like I said, honestly, you could drive around playing this song. This is the one song that unites us as Americans. No mm-hmm. one would kneel for this. If this was our national anthem, this should be our national anthem. I don't know why it isn't. It should be. I mean, it's 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 everything we should this, we should be as a country in yeah. you know three and a half minutes or however long it's as, as people. It, you know, you know why? It, because America can't hold it. It should be the world anthem. It should be translated the, into every language. It unites us as people, not just Americans. People mm. on Earth. And when, and when we have to to stand and listen to it at the beginning of football games, and everybody has to sing along. Everybody has to sing along with every protracted uh, syllable that Huey Lewis sings. I want to hear an entire stadium of people sing the power of love. Yes. And also I want to 
Dude, it's a karaoke video sometime. So it will. It, this dead. song has the power to move mountains and also stadiums. Yes. Um, <laughs> but when we do do Back to the Future karaoke, I'm gonna switch your slip so you have to sing back in time in front of everybody. Okay. <laughs> Hey, really I, I said it was a bullshit song. I didn't say I hated it. Oh, this is where we part ways, Joe. This is where we part <laughs> Until ways. Until next time, Libby. <laughs> Until next time. Speaking of which, hey, what are we doing next time on the show? Next time, we are doing the soundtrack to Cool World, which is a film most of you probably don't want to remember, but it's a soundtrack you will never forget. <laughs> I can't wait. It is so good. David Bowie, My Life at the Thrill Kill Cult, Moby, Electronic. Ah, you guys are in for a real treat. It sounds like we're diving back into the 90s hardcore. Oh, we're going in. For OST Party, I'm Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. It's got me up.